Welcome to episode 139 of Stageworthy. I'm your host, Phil Rickaby. Stageworthy is a podcast about people in Canadian theatre featuring conversations with actors, directors, playwrights, and more. If you like the podcast, I hope that you will leave a comment or rating on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Your ratings and comments do help new people find the show. Or, you know what? Even better, if you know somebody that you think will like the show, please tell them about it. Some of my favorite podcasts became my favorite because somebody told me about them. If you want to drop me a line, you can find Stageworthy on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at StageworthyPod. And you can find the website at StageworthyPodcast.com. If you want to drop me a line, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Phil Rickaby, and my website is philrickaby.com. My guests are Eric Benson, Chanakya Mukherjee, and Kate Wernerberg from Dauntless City Theatre's production of Much Ado About Nothing at Berksy Park in Toronto from August 3rd to 26th. If you could all just do me a favor and just say your name so that uh, people listening will know who's who. <laughs> That's a good start. You want to start? I'm Kate Vernerberg. Hi, I'm Chanakya. I'm Eric Benson. All right. And this is uh, where we're talking about um, Dauntless City Theater's uh, uh, Much Ado About Nothing. Yeah. And uh, Eric, you're directing. I am, yes. Um, so, and... You know, maybe people don't know that that uh, Dauntless Theater usually performs outdoors in recent years at at Bercy Park, mm-hmm. um, which has got to be an unusual uh, place to perform in. That's it being a, a public park mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and a busy one. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everybody wants to go and see the dog fountain. <laughs> so <laughs> I certainly do. And to their chagrin, we have to turn the dog fountain off, or else nobody can hear the actors. <laughs> <laughs> well, at least at least you know they're. Willing to turn it off. You know? mm-hmm. yeah. um, what is the what's the biggest challenge about aside from the dog fountain and and, and possibly probably dogs? Um, <laughs> what are you finding? Like, what's what is the challenge of performing in a space like this or directing a play in a space like this? Sure. Um, well, I'll, I'll go a bit first, although I'll ask Kate to talk to it as well because she's performed with Dawn this before. Okay. Um, I find that preparation for it is a little bit tricky mm-hmm. because there's people all over the place. Audiences will come and go, you know, uh, dogs will come and go <laughs> and like say trying to set something in one of the scenes that they've got these kind of lovely little cafe type tables yeah. uh, uh, in a certain area of the park, which is where we're going to start. But there's no guarantee that those tables won't be filled with people in the park sitting, eating their lunch. Yes. Yeah. So we can try to stage the play as much as possible but we have to leave in a certain amount of necessary flexibility just mm-hmm. in case things don't work in the same way or mm-hmm. if the audiences aren't standing where we expect them to be standing or things like that. So there's, yeah, a, a certain flexibility that has to be woven in. Sure. And some of the actors, of course, have done outdoor theater before like this, so they kind of get that and and uh, adapt very easily. Whereas actors who haven't had that experience trying to layer that into rehearsal in a way that's not going to throw them mm-hmm. when they actually get there on the day. Yeah. Oh, I, I don't know which way to face, you know, yeah. things like that, basic stuff like that. It's also, I mean, there's also the fact that when you're performing outside like that, 
in a space that's not built as a theater, it can be hard on your voice, yeah. can it? Like, your the voice doesn't carry outside in the same way that it does inside. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, you've 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 performed in that space before. Was that difficult? Uh, I actually haven't performed okay. in Bursey Park, but we the last time I, I was working with Dauntless, we performed in St James Park. And yeah, for sure, sound is something I have to think about. Yeah. Um, for example, the, there's a, a square in St. James Park, and that's where we, we did the big court scene for The Winter's Tale. I was playing Hermione, and I knew I could bounce my voice off the hard tile, yeah. which would, you know, and there was the gazebo behind me, which also gave me a bit of feedback. We were performing on you know a hillside facing yes, the yes. street with the streetcar going by and the ambulances. Kind of like, well, we'll just be as loud as we possibly can mm-hmm. and trust that the people who are here to see it are yeah. going to pay attention. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, that's something I'm working on in rehearsal right now is remembering to be louder than I think I need to be at mm-hmm. all times, just so it's not such a huge adjustment when we get into the park. Well, the audience also, like, either they're there to see the show or they accidentally showed up. Mm-hmm. And so you never know if they're there to, to see the show or they're just, like, there for now. Well, some people, it's pretty clear, came to see the show. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> yes. Obviously, they're the ones who were probably there before the show starts. Yes, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, it's, it's an like your audience will sort of ebb and flow, right? Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah. Absolutely. And sometimes they'll show up halfway through <coughs> and we'll catch, you know, like the latter part or disappear for a part and then be back first thing next day. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. And they'll grab a flyer and say, what time, is, what time are your other shows? And they'll make sure that in the next couple of days they're there and they see it from the beginning. Nice, mm-hmm. nice. So it's kind of, yeah, it's a nice mm-hmm. way to for people to randomly experience theater and mm-hmm. say, what's going on? Oh, this is really interesting. Yeah. You know, it's nice that we can be a part of this and leave when we want, you know. It's really- and it's interesting when it happens in a space that isn't, you don't normally expect to see theater. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, very much. Now, one of the things that Dauntless has been doing in recent years is playing with gender a lot more. Um, in like for example, Kate, you're you're playing Benedict. I am. And you're playing, you're playing Beatrice. Beatrice. Um, and I would imagine like that that sort of puts things on on like did you ever think that you would be playing Benedict or Beatrice? Like No, we've had this discussion like uh, it was quite a surprise when the role was offered, like, did they make a spelling mistake? <laughs> What's going on? Uh, was this email not supposed to be addressed to me? Uh, no. Um, like, I love Beatrice. Uh, I mm-hmm. love the character. Uh, but I did not think that I would be up for consideration for that particular role. Mm-hmm. But I think that's what's exciting about what Dauntless is doing, that offering these wonderful characters and every bit of Shakespeare is fascinating. Uh, even the quote-unquote bit parts have their moments on stage yeah. uh, and then to open it up in an egalitarian process so like let's tell a story so that actors who have faculties to do sort of assume other people's point of view still have an opportunity to do characters roles that they wouldn't necessarily be seen in yeah um, that's what's politically and uh, I guess not just politically but more uh, in in a life sort of essence, it opens up people uh, to see themselves in different ways. Yeah, one of the one of the interesting questions that you know years ago, I remember seeing a a production of Richard the Third, which was played, which was performed by all women, yeah. but it seemed like no decision had been made as to what gender they were. And some women seemed to be playing as though everybody was a woman, and some people were playing that everybody was a man, mm. um, or that you know they like 
it was very it was kind of confusing because it felt like no decision had been made. Um, do you when you're playing you're playing uh, uh, Benedict or or Beatrice? Are you thinking like are you playing you're playing as a man or you're playing as a woman? Yeah. Um, and how does that affect the language that's used in the play? Hmm. I think that's a, a great question. Um, I, and I'm definitely playing Benedict as a woman, and mm-hmm. Eric has gone through and made certain adjustments. Uh, I think maybe on a deeper level, what changes about the language is how the how it's heard. So, for example, when Benedict says, no, the world must be peopled, I've heard some men deliver that line in a way that almost made me cringe. You're like, mm. oh my God, what's he going to do to her? Yeah, 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 <laughs> like, yeah. That's kind of aggressive. But I hope that when I say, say it, you, you hear it in a different way. It's, it's something expanding in Benedict mm. as opposed to maybe something more aggressive. Um, mm. So I think that's an interesting way the language changes. What do you think? Um, I agree. Um, that's the fascinating bit about, again, anyone playing these roles because uh, Beatrice says some very mean things to Benedict, mm. which up until just being an audience uh, was funny this woman is just standing up uh, to kind of a dickish person uh, and, and owning the space and, and really giving uh, him a tough fight so much so that he almost always tends to limp away from these fights hmm. but when the thing is flipped and now I have to so- say those words uh, to, to a lady I inwardly cringe Mm-hmm. Uh, like I, I'm making jokes about this person's eating habit mm. uh, or their financial situation. Yeah. Um, so that's one of my fears that um, how can Beatrice still do that uh, but not come across as a dick? <laughs> mm. <laughs> uh, so what are you what are you figuring out so far? How are you? How do you manage? How do you do that without being a? I don't know. It's, it's that's part of, <laughs> part of rehearsing. That's part of rehearsing. Um, and part of it is again the freedom of being a dick. Mm-hmm. Uh, that you can like uh, Beatrice sort of rises up to occasions, mm-hmm. and uh, he is not just in our production. He is not just uh, a dick, uh, but even dicks afford, like they can be afford to be loved and be accepted for who they are. Sure. Sometimes, you know, um, your wit is a bit too much, and you're you're just going at it and. Mm. What then uh, Benedict does in this particular context, it seems like, okay, you have to be the smart one. I'll let you be that. Um, and I can be the more embracing one in this mm. particular relationship. Uh, that's the, that's one of the things uh, it, this particular gender flip has done for me is mm. to realize how perhaps be, Benedict is not necessarily um, less smart, but is more embracing of the situation of, okay, I'll let you be. Mm. What I've always sort of found interesting about about the the, the, the couple, the, the the Beatrice and Benedict character characters, is <laughs> that um, traditional like Benedict is not a nice guy, and so when Beatrice is usually you know mean to him in the traditional setting, you feel like he's got it coming. Hmm. Like usually when like when he gives and she gives even harder, you're like, that's right, he's got that coming. I've mm-hmm. always felt felt that way watching it, but. How do you balance that in... Because we're not used to seeing... Um, and it's very much like what you were saying. We're not used to seeing a man go after a woman in that way. Mm-hmm. And uh, so how do you balance that? Like, do, do you see the, the whole, like, Benedict often has it coming? Well, or I think it goes back to, to maybe uh, what, what's been said before about, like, the basis of, of why we where are we choosing to do the play this way, mm-hmm. which is humanity. Yeah. <laughs> Women can be aggressive and rude and mm-hmm. mean and inappropriate mm-hmm. and get mm-hmm. called on that. That's yeah. something that can happen. Um, and 
I'm really enjoying in this process how much uh, we've been able to um, explore uh, these roles, maybe even archetypes that these two people uh, inhabit, mm -hmm. uh, and th rethink a little bit about what kind of a gender box that is. Mm -hmm. So I really hope that I am offensive. I don't think any of us here have a, an interest in, in playing like um, in, into those stereotypes just on different sides of the argument. Mm -hmm. um, it's about the essential humanity of who these people are and how yeah. they relate to each other. Hmm. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Um, and these are not the only roles that are that are gender flipped. No, in, gosh. in, in this show, but we have yeah. 13, 13 characters. Nobody's doubled, um, and three of them are being played by the genders they were written for. Hmm. So, which was partly deliberate, mm -hmm. uh, partly by design, partly by accident. Mm -hmm. um, when. If I can talk about that for a second, the casting when the casting call went out, it, we gender neutralized the entire thing hmm. and included a note saying we are not interested in necessarily specific uh, stories about gender. There's a few that I was really gravitating towards, like I really wanted uh, Claudio and Hero, the kind of main romantic couple, to both be men mm -hmm. uh, for, for specific reasons. Uh, but yeah, I've, we included a note saying, look, whatever characters you're interested in, whatever mm. genders they are, whatever you've always thought you might play but never would, mm. like, this is an opportunity to do that. Yeah. Whatever you want to do, let us know. Hmm. And so we had a lot of women reading for men's parts and men reading for women's parts. And it was just, it was across the board. It was mm. really, really lovely. It was really lovely. What were you hoping for? Like, was there any particular hope that you had in mind when, when you were putting this together and was that realized in, in, in which just, way hope just so. in terms of in terms of like casting and, and throwing open throwing basically throwing it open to anybody was there anything in particular you were hoping for aside from the the, the main romantic couple being men no I don't think so I think that was really it I also wanted Leonardo and Inogen uh, we've also kind of reintroduced Leonardo's wife who really appears only in stage directions mm -hmm. Uh, and we've combined her with a couple of other roles so that she's an entirely fleshed out character. Mm. I wanted the two of them to be kind of a, a regular heterosexual couple as you would expect. Mm -hmm. And that was it. Aside from that, everything else was just wide open. Mm. Mm. Um, how much, how much uh, adjusting to the language do you have to do for this? By your reaction, a by lot. your physical reaction, um, I am at, it sound it seems like that's a lot that you have to do. Yeah, uh, I mean, just pronoun changes mm -hmm. took hours and hours, mm. and we're still finding some of them <laughs> as we're going through the rehearsal. Right. It's like, oh, wait, my lord, nope, nope, my lady, oh, mm. that doesn't scan. Okay, what do we? My oh, leash, my leash will do. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, there's quite a lot. There's quite mm. a lot that had to change, and in fact, in our in our read through, I, I made a point of of telling all of the assembled actors, I said, if you're unhappy with any of the pronouns, feel free to tell me and we will change them back. We will mm -hmm. change them to whatever you, you're comfortable with. Mm -hmm. And in fact, one of the characters, um, the actor and I both kind of brained at the same time is like, mm, I think, I think this character needs gender neutral pronouns. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. the actor was like, yes, yeah. I was thinking the exact same thing. Mm -hmm. uh, but those were the only pronouns that we then changed afterwards right. was to neutralize one of the characters. Mm -hmm. Um, in addition to, to changing the pronouns, are there, are there other adjustments that have to be made to the text at all? Or? Oh, definitely. Yeah. Uh, especially with Much Ado, because so much of, of the original text is about a war between genders, and mm. about the difference between men and women. Mm. Sorry, I should say specifically men and women as opposed yes. to genders. Uh, and we've tried to, I mean, of course, by altering it, some of those politics have changed, and so, mm. some of that we've embraced deliberately. 
But at the same time, we've tried to strip out a lot of the other politics, mm-hmm. you know, like to to try to get really, really into the emotional heart of the story and of the people that are involved, and the characters mm. that are involved. Uh, so that was another challenge in kind of the opposite direction to say, okay, what do we eliminate? Mm. Like, what what do we take out of this um, to to try to make this as as open? A play as possible, open mm. a script as possible. Mm. Um, yeah, I'm trying to think of it of a particular example, and nothing's coming to mind. No, sorry. Okay. <laughs> no, that's okay. Um, one of the one of the things that I, I like to do on this show is to veer off from the 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 show at hand and talk a little bit more generally about theater. Sure. And one of the things I love to hear about is everybody's theater origin story oh. and oh, oh. what what brings you. To theater and what what is it that, that drove you that drove you to this you know, <laughs> one way of putting it um, so whoever wants to start with their theater origin story please uh, jump in well, I don't know if it's an origin story but I remember the moment I decided to become an actor okay um, <laughs> I I was 12 uh, and both sets of my grandparents lived in the Niagara Peninsula and my my maternal grandparents lived right in the town of Niagara-on-the-Lake and uh, after I was confirmed because in the place I grew up in I grew up Roman Catholic here we go uh, I was confirmed at 12 um, mm-hmm. I went back to Niagara with my grandmother just for like the first sort of like um, time away from your whole family mm-hmm. which is incredibly glamorous and amazing uh, and she was thinking of what she was going to do with me all week mm-hmm. and she thought oh let's go see the production of Oscar Wilde's Lady Windermere's Fan okay. it was sold out so we couldn't go she said oh well I got some tickets to Major Barbara and mm-hmm. it'll be so dense and wordy and oh <laughs> difficult um, but we went and Kelly Fox was Major Barbara and I was enamored thought yes this is what I want to do for the rest of my life. Um, and so I, I worked towards that goal from that moment on. And I saw Kelly in a bar a couple of years ago and told her the story of having seen her on stage. And, she, and I said, here we are. And she looked at me and said, here we are. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's interesting that, that you, for you it was Shaw. Yeah. Which, to be honest, I've never really been in love with Shaw. Fair. When well, I was in learned. theater school and I went to, we went to the Shaw Festival three years in a row, um, I fell asleep. <laughs> now, this is before they've since changed the chairs, but they used to have these really, really comfortable seats, um, high-backed and things, and apparently those made me fall asleep. And so um, I never really fell in love with Shaw, but apparently at 12 years old, there was something there that, that, that grabbed you. Do you, know, do you know what it was that, that grabbed you? Was it Kelly? Was it something else? I clearly remember her. Mm-hmm. And... I mean, that character is is a high idealist who is trying to make a very difficult decision within a religious context. Mm. And I think I identified a great deal (laughs) with that. (laughs) And so where did you go from there? Having decided that this was what you were going to do, where did you... What was the next step? I started auditioning for all of the community theater I could. Oh, yeah? And it took me two years to get a part. My first part on stage, I was 14. I was mm. bet in Oliver. I was the teenage prostitute in Oliver. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah, well, well yeah. That's, oh. Uh, yeah. yeah. Um, it, it sometimes <clears throat> shocks me that we're still doing that play, but, you know, I yeah. understand, I understand. That's, um, that's what, did you go to theater school? Did you, like, yeah. what was your trajectory in? Yeah. And when did you know that it was a thing that you could do for a living? Or was it when you saw Kelly that you knew that it was a thing that yeah. you could do? when I saw yeah. Major Barbara, I was like, mm. yeah, that's what we're going to do. Hmm. Um, I was lucky enough to go to Arts High School in Ottawa, okay. um, Canterbury High School. Um, and then I went to Ryerson here in Toronto. Hmm. Hmm. I've encountered so many people who've, who've gone to Canterbury. I've worked with a number of them. I'm sure. Um, <clears throat> in fact, about, I think about 
75% of uh, Keystone Theater that I've worked with yeah. several times uh, uh, um, are Canterbury people, so mm-hmm. it's interesting how that school has, uh, uh, has, has output so many people. Mm-hmm. Um, what, once you finished theater school, what, what was your biggest surprise in the theater world? Biggest surprise? Well, I guess this might sound odd, but to, to get cast in parts you were suitable for. Mm. I spent a lot of time playing old women mm. and playing the mature characters because I am, you know, I have a January birthday and I'm mm. tall. <laughs> um, but yeah, to get out there and be like, right, I can play my age. Mm. Um, I can, I have a broad range. Uh, that was, that was a delightful surprise. I remember, there's lots of people that, and I, I knew a few of them, I was one that would, cast, in theater school, you get cast as the old person. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when you're out in the real world, you're like, oh, yes, no, I'm me. And <laughs> I, I've known a few people who have been told, you know, you might not work for the first 20 years, but once yeah. you grow into your face, which is like a dagger to your heart, is like, oh... Okay. But to be fair, like, absolutely. Oh, absolutely. You know, like, it's true, but it's not what you want to hear it. Nah, 23 no. when you've graduated. <laughs> what, was, what was your theater origin story? Um, it's a part two kind of a story. Uh, the first time, like, I, I was doing a drama class, like an acting class, but that was just an elective at my university. I was sad. Nothing else was working. I was in a theater soon at that point. I was just I just had that particular class that I would go to, which I thoroughly enjoyed, but didn't know what to make of it. And then uh, I saw a production uh, of uh, King Lear, like a university production, um, and uh, my professor had directed, it and he was like, "Yeah, um, go check it out." And um, I remember uh, it was Edmund's first speech, mm-hmm. uh, "Thou Art My Goddess." And he spoke to the audience, and I was mesmerized, and I wanted him to win. I was like, just I, like I hadn't read King Lear at that point. I hadn't read any of Shakespeare at that point, uh, and uh, like I knew just the way it was structured. Like you're gonna die, but I so, <laughs> I so hope you don't. I so so hope you win this. Um, like, and he's doing terrible stuff, but just that speech mm. made me come on board with him. Mm. Uh, and there, there are other reasons why I sort of resonated with, with him as a brown person, as an immigrant. Mm. Uh, there were other aspects of the bastard that I could resonate with. But more importantly, that I could be on board of a villain. Uh, that fascinated me. Um, mm. That amount of empathy is something that I wanted to affect and infect people with. Mm. Um, that made me grow as a person, both realizing what I hungered for, but also the dangers of that hunger. Mm-hmm. Um, that was the first time I was like, yeah, I'd like to be an actor. Uh, but the moment I knew I had to be an actor was in class. We were running the scene over and over again. Um, it, it, like, I, I was just supposed, like, it, it was supposed to be a monologue and I was, uh, my character was supposed to be alone on stage. Uh, but he's talking about the love of his life. And my, again, my coach just threw uh, a girl uh, in front of me. And as I was describing the, uh, this person that I loved, like I was directing right at her, she started blushing. Mm. And just to see that visceral reaction in right. the other person, I'm like, yep, this is what I'm going to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's my, I guess, origin story. And then I finished whatever I was pursuing at that point, and I signed up for another three years of university. Can I ask what your major was before that? I have three majors. Okay. Uh, well. Right. 
while I was uh, like at that point, I was uh, finishing a major in economics and communication studies, uh, and then tagged on uh, to that uh, majors. Uh, oh, well, proper majors in um, drama. Hmm. Um. So economics wasn't for you. Like, uh, was, it was it? Quite easy. Had you been like exposed to theater at all before that, or no? No, that was also my first live show. Wow. Um. The way my mom says it, like, like I always knew you'd be an actor. Like, how did you? Like, how? how <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. How did you? Yeah. And why didn't you just encourage me to go do stuff then? <laughs> uh, like, no, the way you looked at movies, like, mm. um. But I never like actively pursued anything like mm. maybe like a high school thing that was just for f- just for fun that I did yeah. with uh, classmates, uh, but never actively did anything theatrical or was trained for it uh, up mm. until that point. Um, and yeah, it was just accidentally stumbling onto something that like I had an elective. What do I do? Well, there's this drama course. I'll just sign up for this. Did your family have any difficulty? With you wanting to become an actor? Well, clearly my mother knew. <laughs> <laughs> uh, now, now, does she? See, is that something she says now? Or, yeah. And how did she react when you first told her you were going to do okay, it? She, the, her reaction and another like dear friend of mine, their reaction, like, yep. Mm, I'm like, okay. how do you know before I knew? Mm. Uh, but, and in fact, that's why my mom was like, yeah, I was insisting on you to get some kind of... Uh, like education you can fall back on if this doesn't work out for mm. you um, but my mum was was absolutely okay with it mm. as long as I was happy doing yeah. it um, my dad was okay with it that, that sounds a little that sounds a little like, I just have a tendency of going high-pitched yeah, uh, like, <laughs> no, was he um, eventually okay with it or was no he, I, like I didn't I didn't receive any kind of resistance okay. from him mm. um, yeah let's just put it <laughs> okay. Okay. Oh, an origin story. Yes. Uh, well, believe it or not, I um, <clears throat> I knew that I was going to work in theater when I was five, mm-hmm. um, because I I was taken to my elementary school to see my sister, who's four and a half years older than I am, uh, in the Mikado. Mm-hmm. I mean, she was ten. <laughs> Maybe I was six and she was eleven, but I mean it doesn't mm, change. No, uh, and I kind of idolized my sister. Kind of, I idolized my sister, mm-hmm. and I saw her doing this thing on stage. And my sister's actually a very talented actor. And I was like, I that looks. I want to do that. And that was that. Mm-hmm. I never, I never backed away from that. And I grew up in a small city in northern Saskatchewan where there is no professional theater, uh, so that it was a little bit tricky. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also did a bunch of stuff in high school and some community theater and, and things like that and just kind of took everything that I could do uh, and ran with it. So, yeah. What is it that, how did you know that it was a thing that that could be a career and not just something that people did in the evenings after school or after work? I mean, I think I just knew that, that there were professional actors. Mm-hmm. I mean, there was film. I knew that professional theater existed, so I knew mm-hmm. that that was a career choice mm-hmm. and that was just always kind of what I had planned. I had a stint where I was going to work in animal biology, I guess. Uh, but I think I always had in the back of my head, it's like, no, acting is a real profession. That's what I'll do. Uh, and then much later, of course, I got into directing. And where did you, what was your, like, where did you go from the small town in Saskatchewan? Did you go to theater school? Did you? Yeah, more or less. I, uh, I went to the National Theater School in Montreal for okay. acting uh, and then left after a few months. Um, was that now... 
because it's a conservatory and because I know the nature of conservatories, was that a voluntary leaving or was yeah. that a, yeah? Okay. Oh yeah. Um, it was just very clearly at that time, not a good fit. Mm, okay. Um, it was the kind of program that really requires you body and soul. Mm. And at the time that wasn't something that I could, I could dedicate right. on that level. Mm. Um, <clears throat> and so in fact I was taken into the artistic director's <clears throat> office and, and, uh, he said, you know, we, the faculty feels that this isn't, this isn't working out. And so, you know, we'll give you until Christmas, but if you don't turn around, it's not going to, mm. we're not going to keep you here. And I responded with, can I leave now? Mm. So yeah, it was just, it was very obvious that that was not the right time for me right. to, for me to pursue that sort of thing. So did you do any other theater school after that or were you done with it? After no, that? I, I mean, cause the problem was, was that I then proceeded to work, you know, oh, like that's, that's I, always the difficulty with continuing education is yeah. the working part. Yeah, well, and so I just did a lot of theater, and then when I when I went back to university um, to study <laughs> other things, um, <laughs> to study, nobody wants to say what they were studying. It wasn't well. Theater. It's a little obscure to study um, the history and philosophy of science and technology and German language uh, literature and drama. All right, that is obscure. Yeah, it is. Um, and yeah, and people at, at the school that I was at after first year, they said, "Oh, we assume that you're going to be studying theater at the attached university." And mm. I was like, "No, I'm not. I don't know what I would do." Mm. Uh, yeah, like I couldn't imagine going through, say, the first year program of, of theater when I've kind of been working in it for a number of years. It was like, I'm, mm. I'm not going to play zip zap zop for six months. Like that's yeah. useless. What yeah. am I? Gonna, I could yeah. teach that course. Um, I couldn't actually because I don't play zip zap zop, so I wouldn't know what to do. But you know what I mean. I understand. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, so then I did, like, I just worked. I, I joined an independent company in Halifax mm -hmm. with whom I worked for, like, six or seven years. Uh, and then when I started to get into directing, I uh, got to do the uh, mentorship program at Stratford for mm. directing. So that's, I guess, my training is is a lot of mentorship and a lot mm. of just kind of working in the field. So. I think we don't have enough mentorship going on. I think mentorship it's, is you know, so important. so such a, a valuable yeah. thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, because theater school is one thing, mm -hmm. but there are problems with how we approach that. This mm -hmm. whole idea of having to break down mm -hmm. and build you back up. Because yeah. a lot of times we break you down mm. and, you know and then bye bye. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and but mentorship to be taught by somebody like who's been there and to have like a sort of a peer in that way. Yeah. And and to find the right fit for it. Yes. Right? Like when yeah. when that connection works. And that's what most mentorship, I think, is or strives to be, is to find some, a person who can work with you in such a way that, that the connection is strong, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. and that they can build you up in the right ways yes. and that you can yeah. ask the right questions mm -hmm. and, and things like that is so valuable. Because I remember being in theater school and being terrified to be wrong, mm -hmm. like wrong, make the wrong choice in a scene or ask the wrong question. Mm -hmm. Theater school, at the I went to George Brown Theater School mm -hmm. in the 90s and it was like the whole feeling of 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 fear like if i do the wrong thing they will they will kick me out mm. and you can't really be creative no when you're afraid no 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 it needs to be safe yeah as i say fear is the mind killer yes yeah. exactly that exactly that and, and that's something in fact if i may the thing <clears throat> that i i've said a few times in rehearsal mm. is uh be wrong in this scene we're working through the scene please make wrong choices yeah because they will inform you they will you will learn from them yeah and it gives it gives you the freedom to try things you might not otherwise try. And if you go for something that you think is wrong and it's right, I mean, hello. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, 
that kind of experimentation is, is, is where our creativity lies. And if we don't get a chance to do it because we're afraid to be wrong, mm-hmm. then we're not, we're not actually creative. Definitely. And sometimes um, you are wrong. Like yeah. uh, you went through the process without unfortunately being pointed out that you had, that was a choice that wasn't going to work. And then lo, lo and behold, you actually put it in front of audience, it doesn't work. And at that point, as an actor, you have to have the bravery to sort of own up to it. Yeah. Uh, because you're not going to be wrong if you don't try anything new. Mm-hmm. Uh, if it's been established, people like it, that's quote-unquote right. Uh, but if you're trying something new, there is a possibility, and that's the fun of it, that this could be wrong, guys. Sure. Uh, but then the payoff is the new discovery. Sure. And what if, what if, yeah, maybe it's not the way that everybody has accepted that the role should be, but what if? Yeah. What if it works? And again, you never really know until the audience sees it yeah so yeah. yeah what when did you guys each i mean obviously your exposure to king lear was you know that was like formative for you but when did you guys start you you were shaw when did you start with like, when did you what was your first shakespeare what was your first exposure to shakespeare i at theater school um our Shakespeare unit was with Ian Watson, mm-hmm. who um, did some work at the Stratford Festival, uh, and he cast me. So we were all, you know, we were doing exercises for a couple of weeks, and I was sitting in the hallway eating something out of a tub, and he came out of the, out of the door and said, if you had your druthers, would you rather be a man or a woman? And I was sitting there, and I thought, take your chance. I was like, a man, please. I said, okay. I went back in. Later that week, the cast list goes up, and he'd given me like the choice bit of King Lear, mm. the middle from the first uh, mm. mad, um, the storm scene to the last mad scene. Mm. So that was my first foot into Shakespeare was being 20 and doing King Lear. And, <laughs> oh, and it was oh. incredible. I fell in love. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that experience has stayed with me always. Uh, we were rehearsing uh, the bit where, where Lear uh, suddenly begins to make these realizations that he has run his kingdom all wrong and that uh, has made some very bad decisions about how he relates to his people. Mm-hmm. And Ian said to me, all right, Kate, now this bit, there is no acting required. Uh, you just think about all the people who are sleeping outside Tim Hortons on Young Street on the subway grate. And what did you do about that today? Fuck. And that hit me in the middle. And, so I, and I never acted that part. I always just literally did what he said. And I've carried that my whole life <laughs> from that moment forward. Um, I, I work, one of my Joe jobs is at Church of the Holy Trinity, mm-hmm. um, which is the, the seat of the Toronto Homeless Memorial, yes. which happens yeah. once a month. Yeah. Uh, and um, this idea had been ruminating in my head. I was thinking, I can bring my theater skills to, to bear for this for more awareness mm-hmm. around this event. Uh, there was a huge crisis in the winter. There, there, the shelters were at maximum yeah, capacity yeah. and people were at risk of dying outside. It's like, let's do King Lear in the depth of winter outside because the memorial always takes place outside. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we set it up. Walter Borden came and basically did that, that snippet of Lear. Mm. Peyton Labar and uh, Michael Bennett LaRue came in for Kent and, um, and the Fool. Uh, and because I also do some of the, the press outreach at Holy Trinity, we had a phalanx of press. Mm-hmm, I opened mm-hmm. the door and I was like, wow, there's like 25 cameras all set up on the square. Great, here we go. That's nice. the point. Hmm. So I was able to bring that kind of full circle. Nice. Now, that was your first time acting Shakespeare. Did, what, was your first, what was the first Shakespeare that you saw? Oh, oh. Hmm. Come back to me, I don't know. <laughs> really? Okay. Oh, no. 
I, I just said this to Janika in rehearsal. Like, the oh. 1993 Much Ado About Nothing, the film. Interesting. Kenneth Branagh yeah. and Emma Thompson. Okay. Yeah, I remember that clearly. With with Keanu Reeves. See, yeah. The, yeah. the thing about that particular production is I can remember sitting in a theater when that came out, mm. watching that film, and when he said, I am a few words, somebody said, thank God. <laughs> And the entire place erupted, and I don't think we paid attention to the rest of the movie so much. But anyway, uh, what, what was your first? Uh, obviously, it was it was Lear. Um, when was your first acting of Shakespeare? Um, part of my training was um, Linklater work, so we had a lot of Shakespeare in mm-hmm. it, like chunks from this and that. Um, but a proper performance uh, of Shakespeare, uh, I got to play uh, Pompey. Uh, or mm. Pompeii uh, for uh, measure, measure for Measure, um, which was a role I wasn't expecting mm. uh, because I took myself too seriously. I still take myself too seriously sometimes. <laughs> like I, I was really gunning for Angelo um, and, um, and then my director, just uh, whoever was auditioning for, um, I forget the constable's name in that play, uh, just uh, to help him out, she had me read the part of uh, Pompey and she's like yeah just just read it for uh, like just to have uh, for him to have a partner to read off of it and just from that you're like you know would you like to do this role I'm like I'll say yes to anything because I love <laughs> acting um, but that 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 was also a wonderful sort of thing to go at because all of Shakespeare Shakespeare's clown have the most difficult job of making sense of the language because mm. Uh, like other people can read the things, but the clowns have very specific references of what had happened or was happening in the society at that point. Mm-hmm. And Pompey has like a lot of stuff, and almost every other word is an innuendo and can work in co- completely a different direction depending on how you played it. Uh, and I do, and it was my mind was in scrambles by the end of it. And I'm like, oh, I, I guess I have to sell this joke. And there was a lot of gesticulating just to, mm-hmm. just so that I knew that the audience knew what I was thinking. That is the, one of those challenges of, of, of Shakespeare's clowns because they are, you know, the audience at that time was like, I love language, all of the wordplay. And we're, we're not I mean, that quite so much anymore. And, and the, the, there were specific references. Uh, there's like Pompey talks about oysters, mm-hmm. uh, which was supposed to be a, a thing about um, a, a remedy for venereal diseases. And this constable's wife walks into uh, a whorehouse for oysters. Right. Uh, and and but oysters also have other connotations. Uh, and and what he's like, he's always straddling that line when he's giving his statement. Uh, to the governor about what he had done to his wife. Right. Uh, like, she came in for oysters, and this guy was having oysters. And I was like, maybe you guys want to have oysters together. But that specific reference that the oyster bit was a remedy that she w- may have uh, good reasons to walk into a whorehouse mm. for uh, would made sense to the public back then. Right. Uh, and... So it's very specific, and how do you sell that to the audience? Yes, yeah. It's the same thing yeah. with yeah, uh, with um, the clown in our show, Dogberry, Dogberry and Burgess. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dogberry has a lot of uh, not uh, malapros- mal- malapropisms. Malapropisms. Yes. malapropisms. Although Andrea Lyons, who plays Dogberry, insisted that since 
like the name malapropism comes from something that's a yeah. couple hundred years so, later. Yeah. They should, in fact, be called dogberryisms. No, she is, <laughs> she is absolutely correct. Yeah, she is absolutely yeah. correct. And and that's and that's where the richness of the language comes mm. in because what she actually means and like she's still using very obscure words uh, is lost if you if you don't if you don't appreciate language or if that's yeah. not something that your joy lies in. Mm. Um, and because Dockery is well, is sincere, it could still be just read as being sincere. And like, why is this supposed to be funny? It can yeah. be lost. Yeah, yeah. It was certainly lost. I found in in the nineteen ninety three film, because Michael Keaton was just doing Beetlejuice. Yeah, it was very strange. It was a very strange choice. But I do want to touch on that because, yes, because please. Yes. No, I've told a lie. Um, oh, oh. I, that was my first full length Shakespeare. But okay. my mom will be mad if I don't say this. <laughs> uh, which is, my mom has two degrees in English okay. and decided to stay home with. I'm her first child uh, after I was born, and she was done with reading me children's literature. She was this is facile. She was done, and so she decided to teach me poetry instead for her own mental sanity and for my edification. <laughs> so she would she taught me a few of Puck's little speeches and okay. Tennyson and that kind of thing. But uh, yeah, nice. so okay. Credit to mum there. Yes, indeed, <laughs> indeed. Your your, your Shakespeare uh, exposure. <laughs> I really don't remember it all. Um, okay. And I know that's terrible. That's terrible. I, what I can tell you is, um, you know, in high school and such, we had to, the teachers I had teach in English, teaching us Shakespeare were buffoons. Mm. And like, didn't, it was, it was just a terrible experience. Mm -hmm. And so I kind of poo poo Shakespeare and yeah. I, you know, in a little bit of that, <laughs> I guess rebellious way I thought oh no I mean it's just people are making a big fuss about like whatever I don't really care it's like archaic and I don't mm. like it no 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 and then I had to do my first <clears throat> classical monologue for an audition I think actually for theater school and I'm learning the thing and I'm like this is this is really good this mm. is like there's a lot of stuff in this very short piece of text this is really interesting uh, and, mm. and then I flipped I was like great okay this is good stuff. Mm. This is good stuff. I like this. Mm. Yeah. It's interesting because, I mean, it's one of those, like, for a long time I've been of the, of the mind that we shouldn't be teaching Shakespeare in school the way that we do. Mm. Shouldn't be teaching it like literature because most of the teachers who are teaching it don't. It's theater. It's not. It's not. It's meant to be spoken out loud. Yes. Yes. Like, you, you, miss, you miss a lot of the stuff if you can't hear the words. Yes. Mm. And also, if you just have your students read it, mm. who you know, don't, don't know what know the words the mean. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Then nobody gets anything out of it, and I think that we like we do teach it wrong, and that's why a lot of people leave theater school or leave high school, and they're like, "I hate Shakespeare," mm. and it's just because they were they were taught it poorly, much mm. like you were, much like I was. I had a teacher who who insisted that Shakespeare's language was perfect and Shakespeare's plays were perfect. There were no errors. There were no contradictions. There were was nothing wrong with Shakespeare at all. Which quarto was she referring to? I don't... Yeah, well, this is the thing, right? This is the thing. And, of, of course, I was too young and stupid to, to, to question. And of course, the high school teachers don't particularly enjoy when they're questioned, so it's probably best that I didn't. But um, I'm glad that you uh, uh, survived that exposure to Shakespeare. Um, in terms of, of, of Much Ado About Nothing, and we've talked about you know, the gender flipping and the language and things sure. like that, um, and we've also talked about the challenges to the, in the performance space. Um, what are, so there's a lot of challenges we talked about. What are the joys of it for all of you? What are your favorite things so far? 
I, I love the accessibility of it. Mm. I like that people can come from wherever and mm. enjoy themselves. Um, you know, to be to go back to, to kind of the homelessness issue, mm -hmm. we're in a crisis in the moment mm -hmm. in, in the city. Uh, and some people, about 500 people a night, are sleeping outside. Mm -hmm. And some of them are sleeping in city parks. Um, and uh, I, I like that we're performing an art form that um, is accessible to people who may have no other entertainment or, mm. or limited to a cell phone. That's true, um, yeah. So I, I like that it's a blended crowd, it's an accessible crowd. Mm. Uh, and then all the joys of that, the dogs running through the scenes, the children eating yogurt. Yes. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what about people who are like, you know, because you obviously because it's a park, there are people who didn't come to see a play mm -hmm. and maybe don't care that there's a play. Mm -hmm. And so you have to deal with children eating yogurt, playing mm -hmm. with whatever. So there's like, you know, there's non-audience to contend, contend with as well. Yeah, my experience is because I was, I was a performer in Dauntless's show last year um, and did front of house for both Winter's Tale and Twelfth Night. And almost hands down everybody was totally respectful of it hmm. if there was a play going on they weren't interested in it that's okay they sat down hmm. you know they stayed out of the actor's way like they appreciated the fact that other people wanted to watch this well that's good yeah that's it good. was very very hmm. rare that that people would walk through a scene or you know like would would raise a fuss of any sort so hmm. although i have an experience this one time i was uh doing a production of tempest and again because it's in the park the stage is open a dog literally runs onto the stage, quote unquote stage, mm -hmm. in the middle of the scene, runs around and just walks away. And then how do you survive from that? Mm -hmm. uh, well, that is the question. Like, you cannot compete with a dog. No. no, the most authentic thing on that stage. <laughs> <laughs> Shakespeare in the Rough, who also is an outdoor, mm -hmm. uh, the outdoor Shakespeare group uh, who performs in Withrow, I saw Midsummer <clears throat> that they did. And I was talking about it actually with, with one of their people today. And the... The night that I was there, I think it was Lysander, had in one of the scenes, like, was going to be starting a fight with somebody, and so he went off, because he's supposed to leave the stage, to prep for the fight. And instead, he just went back a mm -hmm. fair ways from the playing area. And, like, you could see him in the background, like, jogging in place and doing push-ups. And this giant dog comes bounding up and jumps on him. <laughs> <laughs> and, like, he's wrestling him off. He's like, no, no, I'm doing stuff. Dog's like, great fun! <laughs> <laughs> and it turns out that the dog is a regular in the park. So when they were rehearsing in that park, I think, like, AJ said that, the oh, yeah, the dog's name is, I forget, Shelby yeah. or Stan. Or, um, Sergeant, I think. Sergeant, Sergeant yes. Yeah. And so the dog actually hung out sometimes in rehearsal. So for him, this was a friend. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> you know? The but dog was... has no idea there's a play going on. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I remember nothing that happened in that scene. <laughs> of course not. Of course not. The dog was being honest. Yeah. <laughs> Um, what are the what are the, the the other joys for you guys? Hmm. You answer first. <laughs> that the audience has the freedom to walk away. Hmm. Um. Because that's the other aspect. <coughs> Pardon me. I mean, uh, theater is fun because we have captive audience. We've got you now. You've paid your money. Now you're stuck with us for the rest of the bed. But here you waltzed in, you saw something you connected with, mm -hmm. and you stay for as long as you feel that connection. Uh, mm. And then you walk to whatever is more important for you. Mm. Um, and it'll be wonderful. And of course, there'll be people who are there to see the show. Uh, and then the few people who sort of discover it. But to get that idea, like one of the things 
that I, I think one of the other things that I get to do this summer is just do a little bit of Shakespeare, like guerrilla performances of it in farmer's market. And it's always fun uh, as someone's buying blueberries and just walking away with a stroller. They hear some beautiful language coming mm. at them and they sort of are there present with you till it's done mm. and then move on to something else. Mm. Even if, you, if they haven't captured the entirety of the performance, you have done a little bit of rippling in their life. Now that's going to infect the rest of mm. their day and through them other people. Mm. Um, so yeah, the freedom of coming in and going out, I find is joyful and challenging. It's always sure. bad to see someone just walk away like, no, love me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But, but then it's in, in a way, it's like that's your responsibility now. Yeah, is they've come, you have to hold them. Yeah. I also find there's a. We have a great honor mm-hmm. to tell these stories in the heart of the city, in literally in the public square. Mm-hmm. And because of the way that Dauntless casts its shows and the mentality of the people who create them, we have the chance to tell stories uh, differently that are mm-hmm. highly, I think, relatable and relevant to the world that we're living in. Mm-hmm. So I'm really excited in this show to get to be uh, <laughs> a soldier, a brash, opinionated, loud, mm-hmm woman who's going to meet an intelligent sensitive man who's never going to let her get away mm-hmm. with being um, uh, too rude <laughs> um, mm-hmm. and, and that we get to we get to be that representation mm-hmm. we get to say to everyone who comes this is a possibility yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. imagine this mm-hmm. yeah I guess <clears throat> if we're, oh, sorry. I guess if we're uh, talking specifically about being in a park in some ways I think it's a bit magical you know, that, because a lot of storytelling, a lot of theater is suspension of disbelief, right? Mm. And in a park, in a public place that you maybe see all the time, to be able to walk in, it's not like the lights don't all go out and you prep yourself and then you're focusing on this particular thing. Not that mm. there's anything wrong with that. I love working in real theaters as well. <laughs> but... <clears throat> you know, like to have somebody just kind of stroll in and be like, doop do doo oh, what's... Well, and their world changes for yes, a while. Yeah. You know? And it's it's yeah. a little bit of magic. Mm. It's a little bit of constructed reality for them in this little pocket of pocket of something different mm. in, in a space that they maybe know well, you know, and that they can follow around, that they can they can indulge in, they can consume, as it were. Yeah. yeah. And in a way, since if they go to that park regularly, that park will never quite yeah. be the same. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. they saw something they never saw before. Yeah. Yeah, they'll sit down beside the dog the St. Bernard Mm -hmm. at the fountain and be like, oh, right, this is where Claudio wept. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I think that's as good a place as any will leave it. Thank you guys so much for for talking to me today. Thank you very much. My pleasure. This has been a Homebody Productions production.